Well, I'd love for you to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word as we continue to worship Him together. And uh, we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read a couple of sections from 1 John with you, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read to verse 4. And just by way of reminder, uh, I think one of the key passages to understand in the whole book is chapter 5, verse 19. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to read 1 John 1. 1 to 4, and then chapter 5 and verse number 19. Anybody want a word from the Lord? We got one right here. Amen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. That means you can know it. Eternal life, you can know it. It's been made manifest. And John says, we've seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Your translation say, might say, so that your joy may be complete. I don't think we have to choose. John's saying, my joy and your joy go together. And then chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All right, we're going to pray. Before we pray, I ask you this question. What word would you use to describe your life right now? If I said you got one word to describe your life right now, what would it be? Got it? Hectic? Busy? Discouraging? Fruitful? Well, I mean, what what word would you use? And here's my question. Would that word be in line with, we are from God, or would that word be in line with, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Both those things are true. You just can't place your feet in both at the same time. Have you repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? And your hope is in him. So let's pray together and then we'll see what John wants us to see by God's grace. What the Lord wants us to see as John writes to us. Father, we have sang some some songs today that have some powerful truths. You are a God. You are a God who can bring our chaos into order. There are some days in my life that's a word I would use about my life. It's chaotic, but you can bring our chaos to order. God, there's going to come a day when you are going to wipe away every tear. You are our living hope. Every praise is to our God. Father, we long to be a people who don't just sing these things. We believe these things. In fact, we sing these things because we believe these things. Give us grace now as we study the word that you speak to us truth. What we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, you may be seated there with the book of 1 John. That is the... Uh, passage or, or the book of the Bible, rather, that we're going to study through together. We call the whole series Walking in the Light. 
When I think about walking in, uh, in the light, I immediately think about sometimes in my home that I'm walking in darkness. Uh, set the clocks back. Anybody really blessed by that? Got an extra hour? Anybody feel like you got an extra hour, but you don't really feel like you got an extra hour, right? So get up in the morning, and sometimes you're walking in darkness. I've told my family this so many times that, uh, I, I don't know, I'm a little bit older. I am not really good at navigating the stairs in the darkness when things are on the stairs. Clothes, toys, Legos. I have begged and pleaded, tried to negotiate that the stairs remain, because when I'm heading down there and it's dark, I just kind of know it's inevitable. I'm going to break my neck on these stairs. But what I'm really helped by is when you turn the light on, right? And now you can see. God wants you to be somebody who walks in the, in the light. That's a phrase that John will use a couple of times here in First John. We've called it uh, our, our sermon series through First John, Walking in the Light. Hey, well, these are really dark days. They were really dark days in John's day, and they're really dark days today. Do you know why? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But praise God Almighty, the light has come into the darkness. I, I read this article this week, and I thought it was a pretty helpful uh, way of uh, making this first point. Uh, there, there's a curator in an art museum in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany, that discovered this, this a couple of weeks ago that there's been a painting, or rather it's not really a painting, but a, art, a piece of artwork hanging in the museum that since 1945 has been upside down. I'll show you the picture. There it is. You might say, I can kind of realize, kind of understand why it's been hanging upside down. But here, here's the deal. It was uh, done by a Dutch artist named Piet Mondrian, and if I mispronounced his name, I uh, apologize. But it's been hanging there in, uh, in Dusseldorf for, since 1945, upside down. The artist had moved to New York City, and what the piece of art is supposed to be is the New York City skyline. And you might say, how in the world did the curator realize that it was upside down? I'll just read you a little bit from the article. When Suzanne, who's the curator, began investigating the museum's new exhibition of the Dun oh, goodness, I can't speak, Dutch avant-garde artist, that was hard to say, by the way, earlier this year, she recognized the picture should be the other way around. I won't give you all the de details why, but ultimately what she realized is the first time it was set out, it was put upside down. And when she began to investigate the artist a little bit later, she found a picture from the artist's home after he had completed it, and it was the other way as he stood beside it. So, which do you think matters more? The way it's been displayed or the way the designer and the creator intended? Now, here's, here's a little bit of the disappointment. She said because it's uh, made primarily of tape, they've decided they're going to continue to display it upside down because... If they turned it right side up, the force of gravity over time would make the whole thing kind of unravel. Now, why are we talking about this piece of art? Because the whole world is upside down, y'all. The whole world lies in the power of darkness. Here's where it's designed to be. God at the top in your heart, others next, and then you. Sin has turned that completely upside down so that it's you at the top and then others to the extent that they do for you. And then God, if we ever get around in the, in, in the sense of if he'll do the way that we think. And what First John does, 
is we, we don't have to be like the curator. We can actually put it right side up again. Now, here's the sequence. Here's right side up. God did something first. He made eternal life manifest. John heard about it. John proclaimed it. They heard it. And the result is joy. That's what John says. But you have got to get the order right. Because frequently, we're looking for joy in somewhere other than Jesus. And I'll just go on and make this promise to you. You're never going to find joy outside of the Lord. You're never going to find joy outside of the Lord. See, the, the deal is we're told to look for joy in the, wrong, in the one place we'll never find it, in the, in the world. So let's, let's let John help us get things put right side back up again. We'll start with this point. It's number one on the outline if you want to follow along. Is we are called and equipped by God to walk in this evil world with fullness of joy. In verse 4, when he says that joy may be complete, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the heart behind that is that joy is resilient. It's persistent. It's not a one-time, every-now-and-again thing, but you have joy that is, is consistent. So, so again, as we read through these first opening verses, God makes himself known. If you've received this knowledge, then you have fellowship with him. You proclaim that knowledge to others. They have fellowship with God, and then everybody together gets to live in joy. Now, is that what is the word that you would describe of our generation? Do you find that by and large as you walk around in the world that there's just a lot of joy? A lot of deep gratitude and contentment. But John says we're called and equipped. The reason I wanted to specifically say it that way is God doesn't ever call you to something that he's not willing to then equip you for. And another way of saying it is you're not ever going to Get to what God's called you to by yourself. We need God's help. But to walk in the evil world with the fullness of, of joy. Most everywhere you go, um, you're, you're encouraged to look for happiness, right? I mean, from the earliest of age, this is where their stories end. And they lived happily ever after. Well, what I want to tell you is don't aim for happiness in your life. You'll never get it. Aim for God and then you'll get joy. Amen? And, and joy is deeper and better than happiness. John's up front. He says that the world is evil. And again, we, we studied this last week. John's writing as an elderly man. He's the only apostle left alive on planet Earth. He's the only one who can say, I, I was there with him. Saw him. That's what he's saying. Touched him. Manifest. He was, he was God come in the flesh. He's seen John, he's writing around 85 AD, he's seen Jesus crucified, he's endured the persecution of the early church, his brother James has been killed, Peter has been killed, Paul has been killed, he was there when John the Baptist had been killed, all the best people John has ever been with and John has ever known have died. Some of you know what that's like. The most precious friends you've got are no longer here. So the Bible is, is upfront and honest with us. The world is evil. And so John, by implication, is saying, hey, if you're going to go after God, don't think that that's the result of that is going to be that smooth sailing is ahead. Eternity is ahead, but here through many tribulations must we enter the kingdom of, of God. The whole world's opposed to the things of God. You live in a world where you have to fight for your soul. Do you know that? Nobody kind of drifts into holiness. And you have to fight every single day. 
And sometimes the fight is, help me God, not go after happiness, but after joy. But here's something that seems a little bit contradictory, so let's think it through. John is saying, you live in an evil world and you can have fullness of joy. That doesn't seem kind of at odds with one another, doesn't it? You live in an evil world, and yet John says, I write these things so that your joy may be complete or may be full. So the grace of God allows us to be joyful in the world. At the start of the sermon, I said, what word would you use to describe your life right now? Well, according to John, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the first words that should be used to describe your life is joyful. Now, this is important. You don't use that word on the basis of circumstances. John's not saying, well, every now and then. No, he's saying all the time. Resilient. Fullness of joy, no matter what's happening in the world. That's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is about what happens. Joy can be, us, can be given to us in Christ no matter what happens. Joy, according to these verses, is the result of what? Let's read it through together again. So we get to joy in verse 4, but we want to have God help us know how to get there. The life, verse 2 was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things, so that your joy may be complete going to sound really basic, but I want you to hang with me. Joy results from having fellowship with God. And that's the only way to have joy, is to have fellowship with, with God. So joy is not ours if everything's going well. Jesus was joyful. Can we just shout that together? I mean, Jesus is not moody. He's not distant. He's not disengaged. There is no more joyful person in the universe than God. He's joyful. Jesus is joyful, and yet he's also a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Paul was joyful, wasn't he? In fact, we have this whole letter in the Bible called Philippians. Sometimes it's referred to as the letter of joy. Do you know what's going on in Paul's life when he writes Philippians? He's wrongfully imprisoned, has no idea if he's going to live or die. That's what he says. I don't know for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't know. And yet that's the letter where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In prison, chained to guards. And you know what he decides about the guards that he's chained to? They need to hear about Jesus. And so he writes in that letter at the end of it. You can go read it, Philippians. Those who've come to faith in Caesar's house greet you. If he'd asked Paul 20 years prior to when he writes Philippians, what would you love to do? He would have said, I would love to go to Rome one day. And you know what? He does. But he doesn't walk into Rome. He's carried into Rome in chains. And you think about this. And there he is chained. He's wrongfully accused. It's not a speedy process to get to trial. And the people that he's chained to, here's the, here's the strange irony they realize 
Paul, though in prison, is free. Caesar, though enthroned, is enslaved. Right? That's what they realized because of Paul. It's joy. One of the ways that you can be an ambassador of Jesus in your generation is to be joyful in the midst of the, the darkness. Paul's joyful. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, when it says, here are the words, by the way, that ought to describe us as followers of Jesus. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then what's next? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, or goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All the most rare things of our day are the fruit of the Spirit. Adrian Rogers put it this way. He says, happiness is like a thermometer. Joy is like a thermostat right? Again, happiness is just based on kind of how it's going. Joy sets your life and how it's going. The second point that I already alluded to is that joy can only be found in Jesus. Joy can only be found in Jesus. I'm not as young as I used to be, so I kind of go to sleep earlier and earlier, it seems. So I didn't stay up, but I understand that the World Series ended last night. Team was triumphant, the Houston Astros. And you know what the good news about that is? Every member of that team will be joyful for the rest of their lives. Well, not really, right? I mean, they achieved the goal of playing baseball. They won the World Series. But you and I both know that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily be joyful. They'll be happy for a little while. And they will be able to say for the rest of their lives they were on a World Series winning team. But that doesn't mean they'll be be joyful. I I don't know what uh, more consistently gets as many likes or comments on Facebook as someone posting, we are engaged, right? That's exciting. And everyone fills up that post with hearts because we know that having found someone to marry, they've guaranteed they'll be joyful forever, right? But that's actually not true either. Marriage is awesome, but it doesn't guarantee joy. Jesus does. Do you know what I'm saying? One of the shortest parables in the Bible is Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Just listen to it. You don't have to turn there. You can jot it down and look at it a little bit later. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. If you're not following Jesus joyfully, you're not following Jesus. Following somebody else. Maybe a a Jesus of our own making. So follow along with what John is saying. That which was from the beginning. So please receive this in the name of Jesus. God from the get-go wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be joyful. God himself is joyful. Jesus came near in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. John saying, I heard him, I saw him, I, ta- I touched him. And John has fellowship with God, and he wants his readers to as well. You know, the old saying is misery loves company. But what John's teaching us is so does joy. Joy loves company. Well, we've been talking a lot about joy, so let's get down to asking what is joy? What is joy? What does John mean when he uses that word in verse 4, saying, I want your joy to not be a little drip, drip, drip every now and again thing, but fullness of joy. So, so what is joy? Let's start here. That joy is a state of deep satisfaction and 
contentment. A state of deep satisfaction and contentment. Do you know why when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness that all the temptations fail? It's because Satan did not have anything to offer Jesus better than what Jesus already had in fellowship with the Father. Does that make sense? Right? Whatever Satan offers him, Jesus already has something so much better in his fellowship with the Father. So I want to put a picture on the screen. I love November, don't y'all? Man, about August, I'm like already making Thanksgiving Day plans. I love Thanksgiving turkey stuffing. Food illustrations at this time of the day is always tricky. But, but there is a way that you would sit down at that table and you'd be like, man, I am so thankful and glad to be here. And you're well-mannered people, but you're already thinking in your mind, I want to grab that stuffing and that gravy. And you ever been there? You're just waiting for it. To, oh, I hope the deviled eggs don't run out. Just, I wanted eight of those. There are only nine left. If you haven't eaten all day, and let's say it's two o'clock, and you're excited. But there's also a way that you could sit down at that table, and the very thing that in another scenario would bring great excitement makes you almost feel sick. How was that? I've been there a couple of times, especially early on when Julie and I were married and we didn't quite have the Christmas schedule, Thanksgiving day feeling. Them, you know, I, I eat a big meal at her house and then I turn around. My mom's worked hard. To, here's another. And, I'm, and, and I sit and I'm already full. Like there's a reason I've learned that they call it stuffing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you consume enough of it and then you same table. You understand what I'm saying, right? Same table, different responses. Why? It's on the basis of satisfaction. Oh, there's a reason we have these rock and roll anthems. I can't get no satisfaction. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Where do, the, where do those songs come from? It comes from what we're talking about. And these often are songs written by people who have gained the whole world and still found themselves deeply unsatisfied. Why? Because joy can ultimately only be found in Jesus. A person who has joy in the Lord is very difficult for the world to tempt. You're already satisfied. This is what Paul says. I've counted all things loss next to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So when the enemy comes on and says, here's some stuff, he said, I already counted that loss. I already realized that's not where joy or life is to be found. Most of our temptations are on the basis of fulfilling legitimate desires through illegitimate means. You have a legitimate desire. It's the way God made you. You have a legitimate desire for love, for acceptance, for relationships. And when those legitimate desires are fulfilled in Christ, and again, they can only be legitimately fulfilled in Christ or or fulfilled at all, the only one who truly loves you and by grace accepts you, you will find joy there. But I'll tell you what, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and you are walking through a world that says you will be satisfied if and when. And then you'll do many of those things. And you know what the world will come along, the world flesh and the devil will come along and say, well, yeah, but now you need, and that's how you go through your whole life. Friends, have you ever Seeing Jesus, whom by faith the eyes of your heart are open, 
He is where all that searching comes to an end forever. Because joy is a state of deep satisfaction and contentment. And so it doesn't matter really what the world cooks up for me. That's how you fight temptation. How do you fight temptation? On the basis of satisfaction. That my appetite, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be, do you know what? Satisfied. Joy is also a a spirit of exultation and gratitude. A spirit of exultation and gratitude. In, in other words, you can't really be joyful and it be a secret. You know what I mean? I mean, there's something about joy that, that comes out. That's what he's saying. I mean, we saw the life. We can't see, see it and say, oh, well, that, that was nice. Hey, when you became a follower of Jesus, isn't nobody became a follower of Jesus in this way. Oh, okay, I guess I will. No, God came along, and you got a little, little measure of what Peter said. Where else would we go? You know what I mean? You alone have the words of eternal life. So it's a spirit of exaltation and gratitude. Here's another picture uh, talking about exaltation and gratitude that you, that you see frequently. This is from the Premier League, right? Soccer. And I'm guessing that their team just did something that they're excited about. I mean, I know this illustration has been used a whole lot, but, but do you really think that Premier League sports fans should outdo Christians in a spirit of exaltation? Living hope, every praise belongs to, to you. I, I know uh, sports is a little more layered than that, but, but than this, but should kicking a ball into a goal result in more exaltation than my sins have been forgiven? How do you think a person should act whose sins are forgiven, who's on their way to eternity with Jesus forever, who's been the recipient of God's mercy, who has access to his word, who has a spirit living inside of him or her, how should that person act? How do you act? And are they the same? Not in a legalistic, well, you better, there's there's too much of that in religious circles. You need to act like this, this, or this. How would you act if you were there at the empty tomb? Because, friends, the tomb is as empty right now as it was on that first day. Amen. So there's two times that I try to think of my life because very frequently I say, God, I'm sitting here in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina in 2022 and my heart, my disposition, my attitude is not in line with a resurrected king who's soon to come again. So I try to think of two moments in my life to, to, to sync up my heart with where it should be. One is the empty tomb. And the other is the throne of heaven that we will soon be around. How do you think you would have acted there at the empty tomb in light of what you now know about Christ? Or how will you be there? Grateful? I think reverent and celebratory. Sometimes we, we try to put those two categories like they can't coexist. Yeah, yes, they can. I would have been reverent at the empty tomb. And I will be reverent in heaven. But I think I'd also be exultant. You know what I'm saying? One word that would certainly describe our worship is joyful. Joyful. As John walked with the Lord, kind of trace the timeline of his life. When when John walked with the Lord, 
as John walked with the Lord, he became more and more joyful. Are you becoming more and more joyful as the days go by? Or more and more embittered, more and more irritated, more and more something other than, and than joyful? Remember, once John wanted to, to, to just have a whole Samaritan village just fire fall from heaven and consume it. But God gave him grace to see a throne with every language, every tribe, every tongue worshiping around it forever. The spirit of exultation and gratitude. I mean, I know it's November and I do love Thanksgiving, but, but can we go through the month where we're supposed to be thankful, but really thinking about what we have to be thankful for in the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and the next joy is a confident strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, I've uh, shared this story before, and it's one of my family's favorites, and I probably should have clued my mom into the fact that I was going to share this story again, but uh, it's one of our favorites. You, you probably, in your family, you've got like a line or an inside joke or a little word or a phrase that once it's spoken, everybody kind of laughs. And, and this, for us, is of a dynamic that everybody laughs, and then sometimes it just, it's just like it's the first time over again. And, it, you know, it's just, it's, our, it's, it's my favorite. I don't know if it's my mom's favorite, but... We'll, you know, we'll sync up on this after the uh, fact. And it's so funny because it's a, it's a moment that my mom acted in a way that's not quite how she usually acts. So here's my story. I'm talking about confident strength. Co- confidence. My senior year of high school, at Christmas time, we went to Walt Disney World. So it was December 1996. So my mom's with me. I'm 17 years old and our two older brothers and my mom is an organizer. Like, she, I didn't get it. I need her to teach me how to be a little bit more organized. So she had planned out what we're doing every day of the trip. And one of our plans involved, uh, one of the evenings, going to something called Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. And all Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party is, is a uh, strategy of the Walt Disney World to make more money is ultimately what it is. But it's an after-hours ticketed event. That's how they portray it, which means after the Magic Kingdom closed, you buy a ticket and you get access to the park, and there'll be a parade, and there'll be Christmas music, and all sorts of stuff, and so, so we had planned to, to go to that. So, planning to go in the evening, we spent that day uh, just kind of taking it easy, having a leisurely day. I mean, three boys, 17, 20-ish, probably took a nap. And uh, so, so when the time comes, we, we're heading to the buses. We head to the line to take the bus to the Magic Kingdom. And as we're entering the line, there's nobody else in line. And we begin to think, man, this is really an exclusive event. I mean, we, we, we really got something going here, Bomb. You have done a number here. You have planned something. And, and we're going to be able to get on any ride we want to get on. And we don't have to wait in line. Uh, and and as, we, as the bus pulls up, Dozens and dozens of people are exiting the bus because the park is closed. And we're kind of standing there looking at them like, y'all stood in line all day. We're about to go to the Magic Kingdom and we're going to ride whatever we want. So, so dozens of people get off the bus. We're the only ones getting on the bus. And I noticed as we get on the bus, the bus driver looks a little bit confused. Probably should have clued us in. He, he tells us, I'm sorry, uh, the Magic Kingdom's closed for today. And I, my mom, and I'm telling you, this is so unlike her. She kind of keeps walking to get on the bus and says over her shoulder, yes, but we're going to Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. 
just keeps walking. So like some group of VIPs, we sit down in the seats in the middle of the bus. I look up and, and I see the bus driver gets out a clipboard and starts flipping through it. And by this time, I'm starting to say, something's not quite right. He flips a few more pages and then he stands up and begins walking back towards the bus. He must have some business he's got to attend to. But then he stops right at us. And I'm sitting across the aisle from my mom. So he, he looks down at her and says, um, hello, ma'am. I, I'm looking at my schedule here, and I'm afraid there isn't a Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party tonight. Well, by this time, sort of all the attention of the bus is on us. People have been at the park all day. They're tired. They're ready to get home, and we're kind of holding everybody up. And, and it's at this moment that my mom utters the line that will become a famous line in our family for decades to come. My kind, generous, thoughtful mom, in a voice full of confidence, nudges my brother and says, show him the tickets. <laughs> and kind of this voice like, I didn't really want to have to go here. I didn't really want to have to embarrass you, Mr. Bus Driver, in front of everybody here. So my brother reaches in his glass, uh, uh, his, his uh, coat and pulls out the tickets. And I see him glance at the tickets and his face no longer shares her confidence. He says, uh, hands the tickets to, to my mom, and she holds it up, and, and he very kindly says, yes, ma'am, the tickets are for Tuesday night. My mom said, yes, thank you. Like, that made the point. And, and he says, ma'am, it's Monday night. Our walk off the bus, the body language was, was not like it had been when we were walking on the bus. We'd, we'd, we'd kind of planned the entire day around a false idea. A false idea. Now friends, it's one thing to waste a day. It's a whole other thing to waste a life. Now, it's not a matter of whether or not my mom was confident. She was. Just in the wrong thing. And here's what John's writing, 85 plus years old, saying, I want you to have confidence in the right place. So can I tell you a few places that, that I would warn you not to place your confidence? Number one, don't put a whole lot of confidence in yourself. Every time I do the laundry, I can never match up the socks perfectly. That's always a reminder to me. I'm not really all that great. Can't even get this small task done. Number two, don't place confidence in a false sense of optimism that everything's just going to get better. That's why I keep quoting the scripture from 1 John. The whole world, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Not just the parts that you don't like, the whole thing. There's nothing of light in the world that's not of, of Christ. But I'll tell you where you can put some confidence. You can put some confidence in the Lord. I think I've got one more, more picture up here. I love this picture. I read about her this week too. 103 years old, still going. Isn't that cool? Still getting out on the track. Still running a couple of miles. I, don't, I didn't write down the exact. Still running with confidence. Here's what I love about the picture. Not on the sidelines. Isn't that awesome? And don't waste your life on the sidelines. 
It's, 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 she's not giving up, not going to quit. It's so discouraging when you build your life on the wrong thing and then realize it. So discouraging that some people never recover. But John has built his life on the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus. And John has learned what I think is the best lesson you can learn in life. And it's this. God's glory and your joy go together. Eternally together. God's desire that he be glorified above all things and your desire to have unshakable joy are not at odds. In fact, they can only ever go together. So those are kind of Bible words, glory. What is glory? And the whole world is after glory. Why, why, why are those Premier League fans so excited? Because there's a measure of glory that's related to this team that they're cheering for. And if they win, then they can go to work or they can go to school or they can go wherever and say, my team won, which is so strange when you think about it. Like, you just stood there. You didn't kick anything. You didn't do anything. But, but man, remember when Satan offers Jesus, you have the whole world if you just bow down and worship me. Just always understand the price tags, right? Always look at the price tags. So long as you glory in something other than God, you will have no joy. Here's how you know what you glory in. You take three things, and they're all heart things. Number one, what has your attention? When you think about whatever you want to think about, what is it that you like to think about? Where do you, where do you go in your mind when you say, I just need a moment, I need a pause, I need a rest, I set my mind on? Number one is your attention. Number two is your allegiance. What is it that everything gets put on pause for in your life so that you can devote time to this? So there's attention, there's allegiance, and then the, your affection. What do you just get excited about? What do you get joyful about? John is telling us when God is the one you seek to glorify, in other words, when God has your allegiance, your attention, your affection, if you honestly would just add those things up, all, all that's doing is saying, this is what you love. This is what you love. This is what your heart is set on. Now, just for us as we study through 1 John, just know this, where we're about to go is John's going to start to identify all the things that uh, seek to interrupt your fellowship with God. Because if the world, the flesh, and the devil can interrupt your fellowship with God, they can rob you of joy, and then you're no longer an effective witness and no longer proclaiming and testifying that the light's over there. Does that make sense? So we'll close with this. The Bible is crystal clear about this. You cannot lose your salvation. If while we were his enemy, he reconciled us to, the death, to, uh, to himself by the death of his son, how much more, how much more, now that we are his children, will we be rescued from the wrath that is to come? God's not going to treat you lesser as his child than he did when you were his enemy. That's Paul's logic. That's Romans chapter 5. You cannot lose your salvation, but I will tell you this. You can lose the joy of your salvation. That's what David prays. Restore unto me, he doesn't say salvation. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And he prays that after a season of his life 
when he no longer was glorifying God, but was now back to seeking his own little bitty kingdom. So John's going to identify, here's the things that are, interrupt your fellowship. I'll go on and tell you what they are. Sin, you probably knew that was going to be on the board, right? A lack of love for others, a love for the world, and believing false teaching about Christ. So sin, a lack of love for others, a love for the world, and believing false teaching about Christ. All uh, uh, interrupt your fellowship with the Lord, and joy is no longer the banner over your life. That's where we're going to go. Let's end today by where we are. Joy is a deep satisfaction and contentment. A spirit of exultation and gratitude and a confident strength. Do you have joy? Let's stand together. We'll pray together. This morning's invitation is as simple as this. Do you have joy? And if not, do you desire to? No, joy is to be found in Jesus. So number one, if you've never repented, if there's never been that turn in your life that affects everything about your life, that turning from sin and self to to God, Joy is to be found in the Lord. And then second, if you are a follower of Jesus, but if you took honest inventory, and better said, if God took honest inventory of your life, you're not living right now a, a life of joy in the Lord. But God is so gracious. David prayed that God would restore the joy of his salvation because he believed God could. And that might be where... You will be in this time of response. That God just restore to me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I will point out very quickly that David couldn't get the joy of his salvation back without turning from what he had been doing. So Father, though the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, because of Jesus we can say we're, we're from God. We have, a, we have a hope that is in the Lord. And may it be evident that we trust in Jesus because our lives can be defined. One of the hallmarks of our lives is that we have joy. We pray this in his name. Amen.